We talked in Sunday school a little bit how Christ is the true light, you know, that there's no other alternatives. The world thinks there's alternatives. You know, they think that they can find joy in everything, in money or in pills or in alcohol, but really true joy and true satisfaction does come from Jesus. So with that, I'd rather have Jesus. Our scripture reading today is Psalm chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. And our New Testament reading is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. That's also on the screen for you. Psalm chapter 10. Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. The one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. And all his scheming the wicked arrogantly thinks there is no accountability since God does not exist. His ways are secure. Your lofty judgments are beyond his sight. He scoffs at all his adversaries. He says to himself, I will never be moved from generation to generation without calamity. Cursing, deceit, and violence fill his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. He waits in ambush near the villages. He kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. He lurks in secret like a lion in a thicket. He lurks in order to seize the afflicted. He seizes the afflicted and drags them in his net. So he is oppressed and beaten down. The helpless fall because of his strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He hides his face and will never see. Rise up, Lord God, and lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. Why has the wicked person despised God? He says to himself, you will not demand an account. But you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your own hands. The helpless entrust himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evil person. Call his wickedness into account until nothing remains of it. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his hand, from his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed, so that men of the earth may testify them, may terrify them no more. And our New Testament reading is First Timothy chapter two, verses one. Through seven. Instructions on prayer. First of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus, himself, human, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles, in faith and truth. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it stands for and how it is living and sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you that's always true, and despite what culture tries to do to diminish it, your word stands strong and is true no matter how much time has passed. Lord God, I pray that you would 
be in this service today, Lord, that you would fill this church with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and bless Jacob as he continues to sing, and bless Pastor Greg as he preaches here in a moment, Lord. And if there is anybody here today that is lost, that they would be convicted by the Holy Spirit and be saved today. For all this is worth it just for one soul who comes to you, Lord. And Lord, we know we're not doing this for ourselves. We're not doing this for our own pride or anything like that, Lord. No, it's just for you. We are servants to you and to you alone. So help us to glorify you above everything, Lord. And help us today, Lord, if anybody has a burden or anything, that they would just lay it at your feet today, Lord, that they might walk out of these doors knowing that you are their God and their Lord and that you are always in control. Lord God, I ask that you would forgive me today, for I have fallen short as I always do, Lord. Help me to walk blameless and help us all to live above reproach. And Lord, I thank you for your love and your kindness and your sacrifice on the cross for me. You didn't have to do it, but you did it anyway. And I'm thankful that you have provided a way for us to get saved and to have knowledge of you. And again, Lord, I pray that if there's just one today, that today would be the day that they would meet you and be walking in the light of the world. Thank you, Lord, for everything, for this opportunity to be here. And may you bless this service. It's in Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more together. We'll sing Blessed Be Your Name. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name 
you've done so much you've done for each and every one of us lord for the love the forgiveness to the long suffering that you put up with dear lord we thank you for all those things and above all we thank you for what your son did for each and every one of us gave us a way to enter your throne room father we thank you and praise you now we ask that you use these offerings and gifts to further your kingdom as we await your son's return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
come and drink these living waters. Love, forgiveness, vast and boundless. Christ, He is our living waters. There's a river that flows with mercy and love, bringing joy to the city of our God. There our hope is secure, do not fear anymore. Praise the Lord of living waters. There our hope is secure, do not fear anymore. Praise the Lord of living waters. That is just one of my favorite songs, and this, the minute I heard it, I knew I wanted to ask Rhonda if she would sing it. And it's just so good to hear her singing again and so grateful for everybody. Thank you, choir. This is a volunteer choir. It's just anybody that likes to sing and praise God. So please, next Sunday, uh, come up and help us. We've got practices scheduled on Wednesday nights at 730. But I'm telling you, this Wednesday's not looking very good, is it? Are you watching the weather? Are you excited for some snow? Come on, I tell you, I, I am like a kid at heart. I, I want at least half foot. Come on, so we'll see. <laughs> but uh, thank you to everybody. Connor, thank you for reading the scriptures and for leading us in prayer. It's, it's so heartfelt. And uh, Jacob, uh, thank you so much for leading us in singing to the Lord. It's very simple what we're trying to do. We just want to sing to the Lord. And we're trying to help our congregation to, to be able to do that. I'm very, very thankful. Thank you to our musicians, too. For some reason, we didn't have drums when we first started, but Greg decided to go ahead and play them anyway, and all of a sudden I heard him. So thank, thankful for that. Thank you, Rocky. Father, please now help us. Lord, we're facing darkness and hearts that on their own are dead, and spirits that are lethargic, there is nothing that any human preacher can do except rely upon the Spirit of the living God who can take the hardest heart and the person the greatest distance away and bring him or her to the foot of the cross. So we pray for that to happen today, Lord. Bless this sermon. Lord, make it, make it much better than it is right now. Do it for your praise and your glory, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder how many of you might recognize these guys right here. That's right. Starsky and Hutch, it was an action TV series back in the 70s, 75 to 79 to be exact. Actor David Soul played Hutch. He was the blonde-headed uh, partner there in this crime-fighting duo. As you may have heard, Soul passed away 
back on January the 4th. He was 80 years old. Media personality Roger Childs wrote this. Sorry to hear about David Soule's death. I interviewed him once and he spoke candidly and regretfully about his fall from heartthrob to wife beater, his Lutheran roots, and his career. Fame is like ice cream, he said. It melts. A troubled, talented, and thoughtful soul. And he plays off of David Soul's last name there when he says a troubled, talented, and thoughtful soul. Soul was married five times, and he had six children. A troubled, talented, and thoughtful soul. Somebody said the greatest battles of life are fought out daily in the silent chambers of the soul. This second Sunday of the new year, I want to speak directly to troubled souls. Because making the turn away from Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know it can be difficult. Thanksgiving and Christmas, when there's been a loss in your family, can be extremely difficult. And then you're making the turn into the new year. It can be tough. So I want to take this sermon even a step further than that, though. I not only want to speak to troubled souls, I want to speak to miserable souls. To those maybe in quiet desperation. You say, Pastor Greg, look around, Miserable souls. Listen, we're happy. I mean, we're, we're smiling. We're dressed nicely. Everybody appears happy, friendly. You know what they say about appearances, right? They can be, what's the word? Deceiving. But there's no deceiving. There is no hiding the misery consuming this poor man that we're going to meet this morning in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it or tap on your screen and go over to Mark, chapter 5, and verse 1. My title this morning is When Misery Meets the Lord Jesus. And I want us to see this in three parts. First, Misery embodied. Second, misery confronted. And third, misery relieved. So let's look first at misery embodied, beginning at verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat... A man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs. And no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain. Because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. 
night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, probably all of us at some point have known misery. Uh, We might even, again, despite appearances, be sitting here in misery, drowning in it as we listen. Or, if not, we've certainly known other people who are miserable. But I guarantee you we've never known a human being as miserable as this guy. Howling, crying, moaning, screaming all hours of the day and night. His home, think of it, literally a graveyard. Naked, prowling around the tombs in the mountains. A restless combustion of superhuman strength able to repel every effort to restrain him. Cutting himself with sharp rocks in some kind of twisted yearning, twisted quest for relief from his agony. Howling, as one put it, in a delirium of pain and pleasure at the sight of his own blood. Truly the embodiment of misery. And doing these things because his life is overrun with demons. With fallen evil spirits working under the leadership of Satan, their chief. When this miserable man answers Jesus later in verse 9 that his name is Legion because we are many. A legion was a term for a Roman regiment. And Roman regiments generally consisted of 5,400 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen. So the picture here is of the most wretched and tortured human existence. Due to the fact that somehow, we're not told how, but somehow this miserable man has come under the brutal tyranny of an entire army of demons who had filled him to the absolute human maximum of fury and aggression and madness and misery This poor man, do you see him? He is the embodiment of misery. Second, misery confronted. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? he asked him. My name is Legion, he answered, because we are many. 
And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. Now this this indicates this is a Jewish region, a Jewish territory because, I mean a Gentile region, sorry, a Gentile territory. The Jews would never work with such unclean animals, ceremoniously unclean animals. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. Notice in verse 6 that when this miserable demon-possessed man saw Jesus from a distance, what did he do? He ran to him. He ran to him. The ESV study Bible suggests that this may indicate an involuntary submission of the demons to Jesus' greater power. Or that the man himself longed to be free of the demonic influence. Or some of both. I'll just add that it's also possible that the reason why this man takes off running toward the boat that he sees in the distance is so he can terrorize and assault whoever's in that boat, whoever's getting out, which is what he did to anybody, you know, who dared to make a mistake to wander into his territory. But suddenly this miserable man who's overwhelmed with demons, is on the ground. And he is face to face with no ordinary man, but with the God-man. The lead demon through the mouth of this miserable man begging Jesus that he uh, slash they not be, verse 7, you see it, tormented. Tormented. Well, now that's interesting, isn't it? The torturers themselves, what? Don't wish to be tortured. You see, the demons know who Jesus is and they recognize His absolute authority over them. They fear Him sending them to their eternal punishment. And so they seek a reprieve. In the parallel account in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 31, the demons begged him not to banish them to the abyss. The Greek, abusan, means an unfathomable depth. The King James there translates the word as the deep. Don't banish us to the deep. It's a God-prepared place that the demons obviously dread. They fear this place. It's their location for confinement as evil spirits. In fact, 2 Peter 2.4 indicates that some demons are already there. The apostle says God didn't spare the angels who sinned but cast them into hell. The Greek word there is Tartarus and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment. 
for when they are ultimately cast into the lake of fire and sulfur, along with all unbelievers. Do you know that? At some point here, maybe soon, we're going to do a series on hell and what the Bible teaches about hell. But write down and maybe read this later, Revelation 20, verses 7 to 15. Go home and look at that. The demons fear eternal torment. Let unsaved men and women take very careful note. Now back to Mark 5, verse 7. And the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For Jesus had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Brothers and sisters, can you imagine the sights and the sounds and the smells of a human being in this miserable a condition. Some would have denied that he was even human. He's more like a wild animal, they would have said. He's some, some kind of thing in the graveyard. But all of a sudden, Jesus comes onto the scene and he does what only God can do. He comes and he confronts the man's misery head on and breaks Satan's grip and sets him free, driving out every last demon that ever tormented and abused this miserable man. And sending the demons into a large herd of pigs, which verse 13 says, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The pulpit commentary notes, by this Christ shows of how little worth are earthly possessions when set in the balance with the souls of men. The recovery of this man filled with demons was worth far more than the value of 2,000 pigs. Friend, if you're miserable this morning, and I don't care what the reason is, or to what degree might be your misery, I want you to look at what Jesus did for this miserable man. This most miserable of men. And ask yourself this question. Is there not then hope for me? If he could do this for someone that bad off, that far gone, can he not do something for me? There is hope for you. Absolutely there's hope. Because Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. And the Gospel of John chapter 3 could not be clearer. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but what? To save the world through Him. So then let anybody bring their misery to Jesus. Bring yourself to Christ. 
That's misery embodied and misery confronted. Now, third, misery relieved. Look at verse 14. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside and people went to see what had happened. These curiosity seekers. Can you imagine this story? They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed. Don't you, by the way, don't you love that past tense? The man who had been demon-possessed sitting there. Dressed. Do you see how the Lord restores the dignity that Satan robs us of? Dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. This is not a fear of respect for God, but this is a debilitating paralyzing dread of Jesus and other worldly power is at work in their midst and they can't comprehend it and they can't control it and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and told about the pigs then they began to beg him to leave their region. Afraid that if he stayed, it might lead to further economic loss. Do you realize the loss financially of 2,000 pigs? You know, the average herd was about 150 in those days. You're talking an enormous financial cost if you have Jesus hang around here, he could be too expensive. So they beg him to go. The only thing they see is his power. They don't see his love. And not so the miserable man. At long last relieved of his misery. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been, praise God, he had been demon-possessed, begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people. And report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. This was a region of ten Greek-influenced cities east of the Jordan. He went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. Jesus knew that the place for this misery-relieved man was in his own home. How long, I wonder, had it been since he had been in his home? And Jesus knew the place was with his loved ones. Think how they must have suffered 
with their son, grieve their brother or their uncle, their grandson? Did he have a wife? I wonder. The first people he could bear witness to of Jesus' compassion and power and love was his own family. Wearsby remarks, effective Christian living must begin at home where people know us the best. If we honor God there, then we can consider offering ourselves for service elsewhere. This man became one of the earliest missionaries to the Gentiles. Jesus had to leave, but the man remained and bore faithful witness to his grace and his power. Brothers and sisters, this is what happens when misery meets the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to speak to the troubled soul and even further the miserable soul. Are you aware that misery can still meet the Lord Jesus today? Has anybody ever told you that? It happens all the time. It happens all over. Miserable people are meeting the Lord Jesus Christ and having their misery relieved. They're actually becoming... 2 Corinthians 5.17, new creations because of His power to do for them what He did for this most miserable man. Have you ever truly grasped the hope that there is for you because of who Jesus is? I want you to listen to the testimony of a young woman that I came across this week. Her name is Shannon Boyd. And she posted this. She said, I was a self-worshipper and an earth-worshipper. A bisexual, bipolar, hateful, feminist, abortion lover. At 22, God used Romans 1 to open my eyes to see the truth about me. Then I read and believed the truth about Him. And there I proclaimed, Jesus is Lord. And then her last two words, amazing grace. Now I want to ask you, have you ever, like like Shannon, seen the truth about you? You see, we're in such a lost upside down culture that it's telling you that you are so wonderful, so lovable. So you be you. And the Bible's saying, oh, no. 
No, that's not it at all. If that's the case, why did the Son of God come and submit Himself to the cross? It wasn't for such wonderful people. Would you, would you just hear what Shannon saw about herself? She said it was in Romans 1. I'll just start for a moment. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Romans 1.18, she said at 22, God used Romans 1 to open my eyes to see the truth about Him. Here's what she saw. Romans 1.18, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what He has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. See, that's where Shannon saw herself. So that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created Instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. That's what Shannon saw about herself. That's the truth that opened her eyes to see her. But there was a truth also in Romans over in chapter 5 that opened her eyes to see Jesus. See, if we just see ourselves, that's a dead-end road, isn't it? But if we see ourselves, and then we see Jesus, to Jesus we go. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You may be a troubled soul. Desperate. Hopeless, miserable. 
Jesus wants you to come to Him just like that. Just like that. Desperate, hopeless, miserable. Don't go trying to fix yourself up. Just bring yourself right like you are. Because listen to this. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke. That is, be subject to me. Let me teach you. Take up my yoke and learn from me. Because I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. So let any who will bring your misery to Jesus. Let's pray. If you're willing to receive Christ into your life, if the Spirit of God is working in your heart, I urge you to call on the name of the Lord right now, right in your seat, and ask Him to save you. Because He will. And the minute we're done today, come talk to me. Tell me what just happened to you and talk to me about getting baptized and publicly taking your stand with Jesus who died to save you and give you life. Please, Father, I pray, let no one walk out of this room without the forgiveness and peace and joy of Jesus. Lord, save the most miserable man or woman or young person among us right now. Save and lift up the, the most tried and worn down as they call upon Your glorious Son for the praise and honor of His name. Through Him I ask. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up, if you would, please. Now, I hope if you called on the name of the Lord, I hope you'll please come tell me as soon as we're done. I, I want to talk to you. I'd love to hear it. Now we're going to receive communion together. And I'll, let me take just a moment to explain what this is. This table here before you is a communion table. It's the table of the Lord. It is one of the two ordinances that the Lord Jesus gave to the church. The first ordinance in a life of following after Him is the ordinance of baptism. That is where we publicly, having trusted in Jesus Christ, we then publicly identify with Him in the manner that He prescribed. And that is by following in baptism. Braden, last Sunday, 
there. You saw, you saw the, the dying to your old life and being buried in the water and being raised up to lead a new life following after Jesus Christ. Now that following after Him is full of tripping and falling down and getting dirty and messed up. But it's getting back up, dusting yourself off. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And off we go in renewed obedience. That's baptism. The Lord's Supper is the ordinance that Jesus gave us to remember Him frequently. To remember His death on the cross for us. So the cup stands for His blood. The bread stands for His body that He gave for us. And again, this is our way of identifying with Christ. That we belong to Him as His disciples and that He gave Himself for us. So if you're a baptized believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're invited to come. If you're not a baptized believer, if you'll just remain where you're standing or, or sitting here in just a moment, everybody else, we're going to come out to the sides and come down and we will get our cups and we'll go back up the middle aisle back to our seats, okay? If you've never seen us do this here, it'll make sense as we start. Now, I ask if we could sing... I hope that's clear. Are there questions? Okay, if we'll put the words up. Do you all know this old hymn? Victory in Jesus. Could we just start singing it as we come now? You ready? So we're going to go out to the walls here and then down. I heard an old, old story How the Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me, I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory!
tak leží flat. Amen. Amen. We'll begin with the bread. The Scripture says that the Lord Jesus on the same night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Amen. We're looking for Him. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. Father, thank You so much for what You've done here today. Lord, we pray for these that are deploying to serve our country. We pray for safety. We pray that You will help them soldier well. We ask, Lord, Your mercy on our nation, on our leadership. We pray, Lord, that You would help us to walk in the paths of righteousness. And Lord, we pray for our sister Darlene and the passing of her mom. Be near to her, help her, comfort her. Thank You that we have hope for our misery in Jesus. Send us out to represent Him and to live our lives for Him this week. Even as we say, come, Lord Jesus. In Your precious and glorious name, we pray it all. Amen.